0: So how about that Fernando Tatis Jr., man? I don't know if you got a chance to see the press conference this morning, but they're just feeling the energy that comes from that young man, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. We're going to talk all about energy today and, and we're going to kind of bounce around. I'm I want to talk about. Tatis and the Padres and the energy that he's bringing to the team, to the city, to the sport. I mean, the guy is just fantastic, and I'm just so happy for him. But I also want to talk about energy with San Diego Gas and Electric and some things that I've discovered and things that I'm doing to improve my energy usage. I want to offer some comments about the energy crisis in Texas. And maybe we can even talk a little bit about some new solar technology uh, that also generates energy. So we're just talking energy for this entire podcast. So we look forward to your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Of course, we're live on Facebook and on YouTube. We're doing our best to keep this to Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two o'clock. And thank you very much for all of you that have been joining us. And we welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Um But also, big shout out. Just want to give a a big thank you to Pete Neal. You know, he joined us for our last two episodes on Wednesday and on Friday, where we talked about flow charts in your mind and about these visual concepts of um, systems or the way we relate to the world around us. That was terrific. And, you know, we had a shout out there also to Catherine Clower because she was the one that tipped me off. You know, we're talking about energy. She talks about the energy flow, right? And we talked a little bit about that on the Friday podcast. So big thanks to everyone for for helping me out there and really looking forward to just getting into this whole Tatis uh, press conference. And I I watched a recording of it this morning, and it was terrific Um, just seeing what Fernando Tatis Jr. was all about, just really grateful for his opportunity. And if you've watched any of the Padre baseball, even if you're a casual fan, you've got to love his energy, the energy he brings on the field, the way he plays with enthusiasm as a kid out there loving life. And, you know, he's like we lost the Chargers right in San Diego. But Fernando Tatis is like our new bolt of lightning. You know, where's Hacksaw? Show me your lightning bolt. You know, he's our bolt of lightning. He's our bolt of energy, Fernando Tatis Jr. And it was so wonderful to see him at that press conference. And he was looking sharp. He was Wearing the white shirt, the tie, the the dark brown vest. AJ Preller is up there with a brown suit. Man, I got to go out and get a brown suit now. You know, just to uh, you know, just to bring back the brown is what we're all about here as Padre fans. But the, he just he just signed. I mean, it, it's just an unbelievable contract, three hundred and forty million dollar contract. And if that just doesn't tell you how much opportunity is out there in the world today, I don't know what can. Now, does that mean that all of us are gonna be as good of a ball player as Fernando Tatis Jr.? Well, no, but what I am saying is is that the economy, even during COVID, the economy has so much money that's flowing through this system. There is so much opportunity that's out there in the world. And this is why sometimes, you know, a lot of times the conversation gets dragged down into talking about minimum wage and trying to raise the minimum wage and bring the bottom up. And I get that, but sometimes we need to be thinking bigger here because there's so much opportunity available to us in the economy as entrepreneurs, as gig workers, even as, you know, salaried or hourly employees. If we open our mind and understand really how much opportunity exists, um, it can it can change our world and and like right here look at Fernando Tatis Jr. three hundred and forty million dollars and you know meanwhile um, the Federal Reserve is just cranking out cash man they're printing it as fast as they can make it and so of course that kind of money flow into the economy. That's what they're doing as part of COVID. They're pumping the economy. I mean, Biden's going to have a 1.9 trillion stimulus. It's probably going to pass here in the next week or two. Um, And we've had previous stimuluses throughout 2020. The Fed doing more of that quantitative easing, more of that cranking out money. There's so much cash flowing through this system. And it's really up to us to figure out how to get just a teeny Tiny fraction, and that 's what Tatis did for him a teeny tiny fraction, but it translates to three hundred and forty million dollars and i can 't be more excited for this young man I mean he, I think he just turned twenty two years old i mean what a what a great story and I think it 's interesting his family he talked about how they sat down and they were trying to figure out you know should he sh- should he not sign a long term contract should he just go into arbitration and then eventually be a free agent after, what is it, seven years? Would that be the right approach? Or instead, should he sign like a medium-term deal, maybe for six, seven years, um, and then be a free agent in his late 20s? But he made a commitment and he decided to commit to the city of San Diego, commit to the Padres for 14 years. And you know, I got to give the guy credit. um, You know, it's kind of like that old saying, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? So if there's a sweet opportunity now, don't keep holding out hope for signing that next big one when you've got a big fat $340 million enchilada right in front of your nose. Um, One of my good friends here in Poway, Jeff Martins, who by the way, has moved to Florida. We miss the Martins family, but I remember him talking about this kind of thing with sports contracts, and he's always said, take the money, never turn down the money, take the money. And that's what Fernando Tatis has done. But in that press conference, there were just so many great messages that came out that I think we can apply these to our personal lives and to our business lives. And I want to share some of these with you. And you have to take it in the context of a 22-year-old young man signing this insane contract. And you know, good for him and his family. Padres committing to this player, something the Padres have never done, right? Usually the Padres groom the young talent and trade him away. The Padres are committing, which is great. But During this press conference, it was all about winning. That's what the whole thing was about, you know, and and not only is Tatis trying to prove his value as an individual player, he wants to prove his value by bringing championships to the city of San Diego. And I just love that winning attitude. It's like, you know, winners win. And so we love seeing that approach. And he, check out this is the greatest quote. I mean, from the press conference, he said, to the city of San Diego, we're here to say, I love the city, I love the fans, I love the culture, I love the vibe, I'm all about winning, and I'm all about winning in San Diego. And think about sports fans in san diego and we 've been so starved for a championship, and now we 've got this kind of a player that 's willing to make this kind of a commitment to our city and it 's just got to feel good i mean we're he 's feeling the love we 're feeling the love that energy is flowing back and forth between tatis the fans, the ownership, the management, his teammates, frankly, all of Major League Baseball is feeling that energy. I just love that. So he's a winner. He's all about winning. And he's all about a win-win relationship with his community, which are essentially his customers. And as business people, we need to think that way too, right? In terms of win-win relationships. But another great quote, he, he talked about when he was at opening day, in his rookie year. This was in 2019. And the Padres very easily could have left him off of the opening day roster. You know, it could have been to their benefit not to bring him up onto the major league roster until June. You know, the way they count years of service could have saved the Padres a heck of a lot of money. But the Padres committed to him because they believed in him. And on opening day, he was announced and got this huge warm reception from the fans. They all loved him. His first at bat, he got a base hit. And he said in the press conference today that he thought about that opening day reception and how he felt the love. And he knew immediately that this was home, that San Diego was home for him. So again, the energy, flowing, feeling it, loving that. And he's all about building a winning culture. And you hear that up and down the organization from ownership. Now, Peter Seidler is in the number one seat. He talks about building a winning culture. A.J. Preller talks about winning, uh, building a winning culture. So does manager Jace Tingler. And so does, right here, Fernando Tatis Jr. And he said, the players that I admire the most... Have established a culture and they stick with one team. And there have been people that have talked about how Fernando Tatis wants to think of himself as the way the Yankees fans think of Derek Jeter, you know, that that player that played for one team his whole career, had greatness, put up MVP seasons, won multiple championships for his city. And and we can relate to that, right? As Padre fans, we've had Tony Gwynn who was a lifer, who only played for the Padres. He had opportunities to play for a lot of other teams, probably to make a lot more money. But our guy, Tony Gwynn, a Poway guy, decided he wanted to be with the Padres for his whole career. And we loved him for that. We we were feeling the love. And it's kind of like um, the cheap trick song, I want you to want me, right? Um, we, we were wanting each other. And uh, Tony Gwynn, is another kind of a player. And they built a statue for Tony Gwynn, right? At Patco Park. It's out there in the park in the park. And the statue concept came up during the press conference. They said this was a quote unquote statue contract, you know, $340 million, 14 seasons, You know, if if you live out that contract and perform to expectations, you're going to be not only in the Padre Hall of Fame, probably in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and most likely they're going to be building a statue for him at Petco Park. And you know that just goes to the idea of wanting to build a legacy, wanting to make an impact in the community in which you live or the community that you serve. And as business people, isn't that another? great lesson about leaving a legacy and being so valuable to your customers, providing such fantastic products and services. In this case, Fernando Tatis service, right? It's entertainment. That's why we love and watch sports, but providing such fantastic service to your customers that they love you back by building a statue in your name. As business people, wouldn't that be Just the ultimate celebration of your own success and love seeing that being discussed in the context of his new contract and the benefits that's going to have to the team and to the greater community. He also talked a lot about trust, another key focal point in the world of business, right? We have to have trust with, with the people we work for and the people we work with and the customers' and the partners that we serve. And Fernando Tatis Jr. spoke about trust. He said A.J. Preller, the general manager of the Padres, had trusted him. They, they didn't, like I said, they didn't manipulate his service time in 2019 when he came up as a rookie. They could have easily brought him up later in the year. And the Padres could, I mean, they just signed a $340 million contract. This, they could have, they saved themselves, excuse me, they, the Padres cost themselves money by bringing him up right on a opening for the opening day roster. It saved them a year um, from Tatis eventually becoming a free agent. So the Padres showed trust in Tatis. Tatis returns the favor, shows trust in the Padres, signs a long-term $14 million deal. So again, the, the lessons in this press conference as a baseball fan, you'll love it. As a Tatis fan, you'll love it. But, and as a sports fan in San Diego, you love it because the Padres have been so starved for a champion that now, wow, they're really committing. I mean, we've got two $300 million plus contracts with Tatis and with Machado, uh, with Manny Machado. But then there's also big money with a lot of other players and we've traded for big money. Padres are making a commitment to win they 're building a winning culture, and Tatis is a big part of that, and he 's all about winning um, and He was very grateful gratefulness is another great trait that we need to exhibit as business people and to share our thanks and gratitude for the people that have helped us get where we are and Fernando Tatis did that he thanked ownership, you know notably Peter Seidler who is the new number one owner for the Padres, who's really stepped up, who has um, really gone boldly in a new direction, uh, f- much further than, um, than r- what's the previous, uh, no, I can't even remember his name. Ron. Ah, it's escaping me. The previous number one owner who's now in the number two slot, uh, Ron Fowler. Um, he, Seidler is willing to go beyond what Ron Fowler is ever committed to because he's making a commitment to the city. He's making a commitment to the Padres. And in turn, the Padres and Tatis are making a commitment to us. They're making a commitment to the fans and to the greater community and really – to Major League Baseball. Got a couple of comments here on the live stream. Chris Sohaney says, now we need fans to pay for the contracts. Um, And yeah, it was was Ron Fowler. Thank you, uh, Chris. Yeah, I'm I'm confident that the Padres are gonna have a huge return at the at the box office. I mean they're gonna get lots of people buying tickets. I've gotta believe season ticket sales are gonna be way up. Now who knows what's gonna happen with COVID and and how many fans are gonna be able to attend the games. I mean, just think about spring trainings. So that's getting started. We're gonna have games here I think in less than a week. And even in spring training, they're going to have limited, fan, uh, limited seats available, but you know those are going to sell quickly, and they're going to sell at top dollar. And when the Padres come back to San Diego, you're going to see lots of fans, not just fans of the Padres, but the visiting fans. I mean, how many times have you gone – to a game at Petco and there's a lot of Dodger fans and Giants fans. You're going to see, still see a lot of those kinds of fans come as well because the Padres are the most exciting team in the major league baseball. They've got the energy. They've got the young blood. They've got the proven veterans. They're positioned to take over the evil empire up in Los Angeles. So this is shaping up just to be such a great season. And I'm really looking forward to it. But this press conference from Tatis was wonderful. And how about the poise? I mean, he was asked these questions, you know, some tough questions from the reporters and he handled it like a champ. I mean, this guy's 22 years old, you know? So think about, I mean, when I was 22, there's no way I could have handled myself maturely. In, in, in that kind of an, a situation, not only the pressure and, and the expectations of a three hundred and forty million dollar deal, but you know there were some pretty um, you know there were some friendly questions, but there were some pointed questions about a deal that he uh, executed as a um, as a young youngster once he first was getting started in minor league baseball. You know, he signed a deal giving away, I think it was, was it 1% of his contract in exchange for a $50,000 advance? Well, that 1% of his contract is turning out to be a hell of a lot of money <laughs> uh, for a $50,000 advance. So um, amazing to see how this all plays out. But yeah, he he was had such poise when he was up there at the dais, at the, at the table, I guess, as you will. And you can tell that he's, you know, I'm sure he was coached, you know, especially on that question about that, that contract he signed as a young man to, to get some immediate cash in exchange for a tiny fraction of his future um, contract. But that was, um, all about you know a decision that he made for his family. And he was well-coached on how to handle that question. And it came up three different times in the press conference. But still, underneath it all, underneath that coaching, but un- but you could still feel his energy, his youthfulness, his excitement. But another layer below that, you can tell that he's a smart young man. And he knows what he's doing. He knows the game he's playing, not only as a shortstop and as a hitter, not only as a teammate, but he understands the bigger picture of the impact that he can make to Major League Baseball as a whole, the impact that he can make on San Diego, the impact that he can make in sports as a transformational figure. They brought up LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes as other examples of of sports stars and other sports that have been transcendent, that have made huge impact in the world around them, in society, in culture. And they're already talking about that with Fernando Tatis Jr. And as a 22-year-old, he's handling it perfectly. He's not full of himself. He's laughing it off. He's smiling. But he understands the big picture as well as the work that's right in front of his nose. And it was just so wonderful to see. Um, some more comments from the live stream, Pat Johnson said, "What about the pitching we don 't have freight, we don 't have five great starters. Well, we do have five great starters Pat are you not paying attention to the to the news i mean we 're going to have if all goes well, I would assume." Um, Dinelson would be the opening day starter. You got Hugh Darvish, who came over from the Cubs, who's finished number two in the Cy Young Awards and, um, is one of the top pitchers in the game. You've got your number three starter, Blake Snell, who was the Cy Young Award winner in 2018 in the American League with the Tampa Bay Rays. And we saw him shut down the Dodgers in the World Series. He's a great competitor. The number four starter is you know, feeling the love, San Diego zone, Joe Musgrove traded for him. You know, we know Joe Musgrove. He went to Grossmont High School out in El Cajon. And, and he is a student of, um, of a local product here, uh, Poway pitching coach, Dominic Johnson, who is the hidden pitching coach of the stars, um, has, is, is the coach of Joe Musgrove. Um, I'm sure, yeah, actually, I know Joe has come out here to Poway all the time, working out. My sons play catch with Joe Musgrove, um, in, in the backyard of Dom Johnson where he's got the pro pitching setup out there. Um, and then the number five starter is gonna be Chris Paddock, who's bouncing back, who's made some corrections, and then you've got, you know, three or four great young talent that are ready to come in when the when the door when the doorbell rings, when their opportunity is called. Mackenzie Gore, um Adrian Morahon, Ryan Weathers. I mean, Padres are just loaded. Their their, their pitching is going to be so much better, and that was the weakness last year. Not a, not just before trade deadline when we got Clevenger, but you know, obviously going into the playoffs. You know, the pitching has been greatly addressed. Uh, Chris Soye says, without injuries, they have it now. Pat, um, and he has the best coach, his former Major League Baseball dad, Fernando Tatis Sr. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's mature and great. Yeah, Fernando Tatis Jr is just so refreshing, so wonderful, and I am just so happy for him signing that contract and he deserves every nickel of it. And and some people are even arguing that he could be even underpaid, imagine that. But I think it goes to show that there's just so much opportunity in the world today. And uh, sometimes we think small. That's why we get hung up on the minimum wage argument. And we can debate the minimum wage, but we need to we need to encourage people to think so much bigger. Think about ways that you can make an impact on the world around you. What big problems in the world do you want to solve? And that is usually the pathway to riches and to opportunity and to thinking big and to cashing in big. Um, Pat Johnson said. Not one of them have fourteen wins, and their losses are too high, so Pat the eternal pessimist, <laughs> um not excited about the padre pitching well what what do you want pat I mean you want to you want to sign Clayton Kershaw, you want to steal him from the Dodgers? Um, I think you can't ask for a j Preller to do more than he did this off season, and as that young talent comes up, I mean the young players like Mackenzie Gore. And Ryan Weathers and Adrian Morahone may turn out to be better than Clevenger and Snell and Lamette and Darvish. Heck, might even be better than Bueller and Kershaw and all the other pitchers that are up in LA. So this is still shaping up to be a great season. Now, uh, I don't know if you're big on Padre Twitter. I love the whole Padre Twitter community, and there's one guy here locally, and he goes by the name of El Nino Fandan, and his Twitter handle changes a lot, but I know he's a Poway guy, and and he made a great comment on Twitter this morning, and I'm sharing it here in the in the podcast, and he said the model of a U.S. sports franchise in a small market becoming a global brand already exists and it's the San Antonio Spurs you know of course from from the NBA they are globally recognized and embraced because of three things number 1 a consistent um, excellent performance so yeah they're they're terrific year in and year out number 2 they have international talent and number 3 they've accrued championships so the question, of course, is: Can the Padres become the San Antonio Spurs of Major League Baseball? Well, they're certainly very well positioned to do it. They had a great season last year, their first winning season in an awfully long time. Um, but it was a winning season, and let's take credit for that. Moving forward, they're positioned to be successful in 2021, and. Really, this entire decade, they're positioned to do very well. They have control over their players for most of their players for the next two or three years. And the talent in the minor leagues, the, the waves of talent, as I said, the hot lava talent, even though they've traded away a lot of it, there's still so much left. So the Padres are definitely positioned for consistent excellence performance. And I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to say as a Padre fan, but they've got all of their, their ducks in a row for that. Now, the proof's in the pudding. We'll see if it plays out that way. But if you look at it on paper, it's looking pretty good. Um, international talent. This is a beautiful thing that A.J. Preller has done because not only is he bringing in Dominican talent, um, I think the Tatis family is from the Dominican Republic, um, but there, we, Hugh Darvish came over. Hugh Darvish, of course, from Japan. In fact, Hugh Darvish... Is mixed race. I think his father is from Iran, I believe, and his mother Japanese. But he grew up in Japan. He's Japanese. Um, and then they signed Hasan Kim from South Korea. Um, so we got those two coming over. And then from the from the uh, from the Far East, we have uh, Jerks and Profar is is from the Caribbean. I mean, there's a. I remember at one point, I think there were there were seven different nations last year that were represented on the Padre roster. Now, we had a few Canadians, and those guys have since been traded to the Indians, Cal Quantrill and Josh Naylor. But still, the Padres have assembled a nice international roster and not just American and Latin, um, Latin talent, but also talent from East Asia. So I think it's terrific. So they're well positioned for international talent. And then, of course, championships. They've got to break the San Diego sports curse. And I think, again, there are no promises. There's no guarantees. But right now, people are projecting them to be the third best team in all of Major League Baseball. Um, they are projecting that that they are going to go as far as they can, you know, with, of course, the one major nemesis right in front of them being the L.A. Dodgers 100 miles to our north. They're well-positioned to put together some championships, far better position than they've ever been in the history of this franchise that started in 1969. So as a San Diegan, as a sports fan, this commitment to Fernando Tatis Jr. is a beautiful thing. But if you go through and look at these lessons that you can take from from the press conference, you can learn so much to apply to your life and to your business. Craig Elston had another comment on Twitter. Craig, of course, is um, a longtime uh, sports radio guy here in San Diego, but I think he's the vice president of marketing for the San Diego Soccers as well. And he said 14 years, no opt outs. You know, of course, an opt out would give him an opportunity to leave the contract early. So this is a 14 year rock solid guarantee. Um, It's a 14 year commitment to the city of San Diego, designed for maximum competitive flexibility through the life of the deal. And they did that. They, they set up the dollar amount per year. They optimized that so their cash flow could be well positioned today as well as in the medium and long term. And it's a deal of a lifetime for him, for them, and for us thank you padres thank you fernando tatis junior so craig elston i thought really summed it up very nicely so i mean i just i'm just thrilled and it's it's the energy that fernando tatis junior brings the energy he brings to the team to the sport and to our community in San Diego, something that we can really be proud of, someone we can really rally around and support and really feel the energy from him, feel his love as we share that energy back and forth with the community. Um, couple more comments on the live stream. Uh, Pat Johnson says, okay, I will keep the faith. Yeah, do keep the faith, Pat. Um, now more than ever. Uh, you had faith in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe, this uh, Super Bowl. So hopefully that good juju will translate into the Padres' uh, faith this year. And Chris, uh, so he goes on to say, one pro sports town, an interesting take. Yeah, we, you know, when I came to San Diego in 1982, we had three professional sports teams. We had the Padres, the Chargers, and the Clippers. In fact, when I first came here as a freshman at UC San Diego in 1982, my first job I got as a freshman in college was um, selling popcorn up and down the aisles of the sports arena at the uh, San Diego Clippers games and at the San Diego Soccers games and for some truck pulls and other kinds of crazy events. That was a great job. But... I'll tell you, when I was there for those Clippers games, if if it was the Lakers or the Celtics that were in town, that was a full house and it was rocking. But otherwise, it was pretty. It was a ghost town. Otherwise, it was just hardcore NBA fans because back then the Clippers were terrible. Um, and of course, they moved a few years after that. Was it maybe in '85? Did they move to LA? Something like that. But the soccer's games back then were wonderful, and the soccer's of course have won many championships. But you know all due respect to the soccers we don 't normally think of them as one of the major sports in san diego county um, but yeah it's a we're right now we 're a one horse town right as far as major sports franchises are concerned so if we 're going to have one team let 's hope that they 're going to be the best team and they can be all they can be. And they're well positioned to do that. So once again, congratulations to Fernando Tatis Jr. OK, so um, we're still on the live stream. I, I'm going to get into a little bit about San Diego Gas and Electric because this is a podcast is all about energy. So we're going to talk about San Diego Gas and Electric. I'm going to talk a little bit about the crisis in Texas and some other comments about solar energy. Um, again, we welcome your thoughts and comments. Um, We're live streaming this on the John Riley Project Facebook page as well as the John Riley Project YouTube page. So please go and check those out. Um, Let's talk a little bit about San Diego Gas and Electric. And I, I have a story to tell. And this is a really good story. And it's got a lot of angles to it that I think are really special. So. Now I've talked about this. We we have two electric cars. Um, we have a, a Tesla Model Three that my wife drives, and then I have a Hyundai Kona. Um, you may not have heard of the Hyundai Kona, but it's a great electric car. In fact, it gets more range than my wife's Model 3 does. It's rated at 258 miles of range, but the way I drive it, I drive it like a grandma. I can get like 300 miles on a full charge. And we charge our cars here at home. We have like a um, a high, well, a level two charging station in our home. And we uh, power the cars off our solar panels, so we've got this cool little ecosystem going here, where we're you know we've transformed a great deal of our home and our property to to maximize energy, to conserve resources. So we have the energy, uh, the solar panels on our home that drives all of our electricity as well as our cars. We have solar for our pool. We have LED lighting all throughout our, our home, which makes a big difference on energy consumption for lighting. We um, have uh, have Conserve water on our property. We live on two acres. And so we've done a lot of mulching to try to conserve water, uh, keep the soil as moist as we can, and reduce our water flow with our sprinkling system. We do recycling, you know, more than just loading up that blue bin. I, I recycle all kinds of different things. So really embracing um, everything about green energy. And, you know, here I am. I'm not necessarily a tree hugger, but I'm. I'm moving more and more in that direction, but I generally have embraced electric vehicles and solar largely because it's a way to sort of play the game, right? It's a way to save money. It's a way to take advantage of so many of the economic opportunities that are out there because you figure as taxpayers, we pay a shit ton in taxes at the federal level and at the state level. Um, including our property taxes. I mean, everywhere we turn, the tax rates are very high. Um, And even property tax, you may argue that 1% and change is not a high rate. But when you go to have to write that check every year, it's a big number because of the value of real estate in the state of California. So whenever, since we're spending so much in taxes, whenever there's an opportunity to get some of that money back, I'm going to take full advantage. And so that's another big reason why we have Two electric cars. Besides the fact that we love them, the technology is great, and everywhere we go, people are offering free uh, charging, sometimes bonus parking spots. Like if we go to the Poway here, the Target here in Poway, we can park like literally right in front of the store and get free charging. I mean, I think the handicapped people have got to travel further to their, to their car than we do going back to our, our charging station there in front of. The Target at Poway, and it's free. Um, I went up to the um, Stone Brewery up in Escondido. They have a charging station. It's like the first one. Actually, it's after the handicapped parking, but it's the first one after handicapped, and it's free charging. And then we get to drive our EVs on the HOV lane, you know, that lane down the center of Highway 15. Normally it's carpool only, but if you're a solo driver, you can pay money to go in that lane. Well, if you have an electric vehicle, you can go in that lane by yourself for free. So there's so many cases where people are throwing money at you. Why not take advantage? And so one of those opportunities for us was with San Diego Gas and Electric, and um, we had always um, registered our cars with SDG&E, and then they give us a big rebate and. For the longest time we had this huge credit on our account with SDG&E. I think we got what is it $1000 per car. They've since changed it. I know with my wife's Model 3 we only got $250 from San Diego Gas and Electric. But for my Kona I got 1000 and my wife's previous EV was a Chevy Vol- Chevy, excuse me, Chevy Bolt with a B. I think we got $1000 for that one and that $1000 just sits up on your SDG&E bill, the electric portion only as a credit. Um, But we had solar, right? And we weren't using that much energy and we never really dipped in to that balance until 2020. And I think a lot of us experienced this where suddenly everyone's energy bills were a lot more expensive in 2020. And people might be wondering why. Well, the obvious answer to that is COVID. So, With COVID, more people are working from home. So there's more computers on, more lights on, and the summer gets hot. In fact, we had a really hot summer. So there's more air conditioning going. And in our case, we had both of our adult children move back in. Um, So not only am I you know, and I already work from home. So not only am I running my business from home, with, and I, when I was by myself in my home, I would rarely run the air conditioning unless I was desperate because it felt kind of weird to air condition your huge house when it's only for one person. But when I had my son and daughter home, I cranked it up and didn't really, didn't really fight it. Well, I think a lot of other families were doing something similar. They had. They were working from home. They might have had more people living at home because of COVID. I know with my daughter, she was living up in San Francisco, working for an accounting firm in San Francisco. And then when COVID happened, she had to work remote, and so she just came back home to San Diego and and moved out of her apartment in San Francisco, as a lot of people have done. They've, there's been an exodus out of San Francisco and a lot of big cities. Because people are working from home, which is a great thing, I think it's one of the silver linings of the COVID crisis. Um, but as a result, people have now seen their energy bills go up a lot, and we were noticing that too. But um, we we were because we had that big fat credit on our account that. You know i I don't pay the bills, my wife pays the bills, and sometimes she'll just comment to me like oh yeah we we uh spent you know quote unquote spent like an extra two hundred bucks this month on um electricity because you know our solar panels only provide so much kilowatt hours, and if we exceed that, then we have to tap into the grid and we and then we get energy from the grid and we got to pay for that and when we got our solar panels, they were optimized for our home. And at the time we had two electric vehicles, but one of them had a really small battery. Um, And so they weren't drawing as much energy as the two we have now. And, um, and, you know, we weren't using as much energy then as we are now in, in the house as well. I mean, so as a result, we were noticing that we were paying more for a gas for our electric bill, but because we had that credit that was covered, it didn't really seem to matter well, after a while it it turned out that we we blew through that credit and then we were starting out to, to you know pay cash um, for the overages and so I jumped in and you know I got together with the people that sold us, our solar panel system. And we got our system from Sunrun. And maybe you've heard of Sunrun. They, they're one of the primary companies that sell through Costco. And we were saying, well, what can we do? And you know, they, they talked about getting you know, more panels to cover our overage. We talked about uh, possibly getting a battery so we can store more energy during the day and use that battery to drive electric consumption in the evening and discuss a number of options. But I'm going to give credit to our salesperson. And he was fantastic. And our salesperson. Really worked with us as a consultant. He didn't, I mean, he proposed solutions that he could offer, but he really worked with us as an energy consultant to find ways to save energy. And he educated me, and I learned more about the system. And in the end, he talked me out of buying more solar panels. In the end, he taught me ways to save more energy and to consider the COVID crisis and to really let those. To better understand those factors, to optimize those factors better before committing to a contract, before committing to you know, buying or leasing more gear. And again, I give this guy great credit. So his name escapes me. I, you shoot me in the head for that. But if you need someone that's going to help you with solar, I've got a great guy. And I'd be very happy to refer him to you. Ethical, um, cons- consultative will educate you, will present solutions, but he doesn't do the hard sell. He's trying to find out what's best for you. And that's what he did for us. Now, what I learned, the old way, the way that we used to power our electric cars is I knew that there was a system where people would charge their cars late at night because the energy was cheaper. But I always kind of figured, well, that's for people that don't have solar, right? We have solar, so we'll just plug in whenever we want. And we're and I since I work from home, my car is idle in my garage during the day, so I charge when the sun is out. You know, so no big deal. And for my wife, well, you know, sometimes she charges at night, sometimes she charges during those prime time hours. But we just didn't really, we hadn't figured out, you know, the game. And I remember I told you that's the beauty of EVs is there is a game to be played, but with San Diego Gas and Electric we didn't really play the game. We didn't understand the game. Now I understand it. And so we we would plug in our cars and like I said sometimes you know that peak period is from 4 to 9. So my wife gets home from work, what's the first thing she does? Plugs in her car. You know, she's suddenly charging her car and we're paying the maximum rate for energy. But even then, you know, they that was when The sun's still out, but between four and nine, you know, the sun's setting, the panels aren't generating as much energy. And so we're tapping into the grid and we were tapping into the grid at the most expensive time. Now, granted, she didn't charge her car every day. She probably only charged her car maybe twice a week, maybe, um, because that car gets what 200 and was it 230, I think, miles on a full charge. So yeah, she probably charged it twice a week at most. Um, but she was charging during prime time. But we didn't care. We figured out we got solar and we were at the time before COVID, we were never having overages. Never, ever. It didn't matter. We didn't care. Um, we were conserving energy in other parts of our of our um, our home with LED lighting. And then when the COVID crisis hit, well, yeah, we were home. We were using more energy, but we had this huge credit on our account that they gave us when we got our electric vehicles. Like we had over $2,000 at one point and we would burn through that, but we didn't care <laughs> because you know we didn't have to pay cash. Now, granted, that's obviously very short-sighted of us. We didn't really plan. Well, now we got a plan. And so um, the great thing is, is that our salesperson for Sunrun really tipped us off and it goes to this thing called time of use. And I want to talk a little bit about this because- San Diego Gas and Electric, they sell their energy based on different times of the day they charge higher or lower rates. So there are various plans and various structures with different rates at different times of the day. And depending on your situation, your lifestyle, when you often will consume energy, there's maybe a different plan that may be more optimized to your needs. So this is gets to be really confusing. It's like, you know, trying to find a, a plan for, remember back in the day, there were all those different cell phone plans. I don't think there are as many as as there used to be, but it was just so damn confusing, you know, depending on which times of the day you made your calls and et cetera, et cetera. Well, gas and electric bills are like that with time of use. And as an electric vehicle owner, we qualify for one of three, what they call EV time of use. Um, plans. And there's the EVTOU, EV time of use. Then there's the EVTOU2 and the TOU5. So there are three of them. And we were on EVTOU2. And I I didn't even know we were on that. I knew we had an EV plan because they gave us a special rate when we were charging because we were an electric vehicle person. you know. And I knew right away that was one way to play the game because SDG&E was helping us out. Well, The deal is, is that now um, what we were doing, let me say what we were doing. We were paying during peak time, um, which was between four and nine, we were paying 34 cents per kilowatt hour. We've now reduced that to 29 cents. So immediately we're getting a better rate during prime time. But most importantly, during that, what they call super off peak, which for generally speaking, is between midnight and 6 a.m., we were paying 22 cents and we were paying because we had our cars were charging in the middle of the night, in the wee hours of the morning um, because the solar panels obviously weren't working. So we were paying 22 cents. Now we're only going to pay nine. So what we've done is we have now programmed our cars, because you can set this up on the dashboard to only accept charge between midnight and 6 a.m. So even though we plug our car in, nothing's going on. The car is not receiving energy. Energy is not flowing to the car. We're not paying for it, even though it happens to be connected. And then once the clock clicks to midnight, then the juice starts to flow. So now not only are we optimizing it to pay a way lower rate at night, more importantly, during the day we have an opportunity to sell our excess energy back into the grid. Now, granted, during the day, um, we were paying, gosh, what was it? We were paying 33 cents. Um, thats We're now gonna lower that to 28. But And then during the, the super, uh, during the peak hours, we went from 34 to 29 cents. But most importantly now during the day, We are going to try to put the least amount of stress on the system, so we're not going to charge our car during the day, which is going to maximize the amount of overage that we generate on our panels. We'll be generating more energy than we consume on our panels, and then then we'll be selling the energy back into the grid at the highest rate we can the highest potential rate. So now we're playing the game far more effectively. Now we are understanding how to do it the right way. So now we're going to consume energy for our cars at the cheapest possible time. And now we're going to sell energy back into the grid during the more expensive and the most expensive time. And we're going to try to maximize the amount of energy we sell back into the grid. And we do that by taking our cars and, and essentially time shifting them to the midnight to 6 a.m. plan. So this was a huge deal. And I kind of knew about this, but I never really sat down and figured it out. And so now I did. And I, a huge props to my Sunrun guy. I mean, he, he clued me in because he said, before I sell you anything, I want to tell you there's a way I can save you money right off the top. And you just got to switch your plan with SDG&E and then only charge your cars late at night. And boom. So we're doing that. Now we made the switch like about a week and a half ago. So it's going to take a few months to see how this plays out. Now with COVID, the COVID situation, that's going to relax as well, right? So we're probably going to, you know, my son's going to be leaving the house soon. My daughter already moved out. My son's going to move out in the next few months. So that's going to reduce energy consumption in our house. And I think The COVID situation, that that consumption level because of COVID will also reduce. And then we're going to decide if we need to upgrade our panels or get a battery or both, but hopefully not have to do any of it. Um, So the the key part of this is, is that if you, you know, we're all customers of San Diego Gas and Electric, if you live here in San Diego County, the main thing I want to open your eyes up is the fact that you have options of plans to pick from, from San Diego Gas and Electric, and it's called time of use. And- if you have an electric vehicle, you have special plans just for EVs, EV TOU, EV time of use. And we switched from EVTOU two to EVTOU 5. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. Um, Pat Johnson um, <laughs> on the live stream said, You dropped off. Did you forget to pay your electric bill, LOL? Did I? And I see I got a text. I think that I saw it was from Pat. FYI, you stopped broadcasting. Well, according to my system, I'm still going. Um, but I'm recording the audio only. I'll be uploading the audio only up to all the podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher. That'll be up there for sure. Not sh- I'm live streaming on both Facebook and YouTube. So... On my system, it says I'm still live streaming. So I, can't, I don't know what to tell you, Pat. Um, the beauty of, of the internet and figuring out how to do this damn podcast. Okay, so um, gosh, we're like 50 minutes in. I, I do want to make a few more comments about the Texas energy crisis because this whole podcast is about energy. We talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. and the energy he brings to the Padres, to baseball and to San Diego. Talked about San Diego gas and electric. Um, Let's talk about the Texas energy crisis. And Pete Neal says, you are okay on YouTube. So thanks, thanks Pete. Thanks for the check there. Um, You know, just, uh, just to encourage you, we, we we're on all the social media platforms we encourage you to, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I notice we've got two more subscribers in the last 24 hours. So thank you for that. But subscribe to our YouTube channel, John Riley project. And that's one of the places we live stream. All of our episodes are there. You can also, um, Follow us on Facebook. We have the John Riley Project Facebook page. I even have the John Riley Project Insiders Group. It's kind of a special closed group, but everyone is invited. You just got to answer a few questions, and we'll let you in. So search for John Riley Project Insiders Group and and f- like or follow that one, and and we'll let you in. So check out social media where I try to be very active on social media. Um, I'm really heavy on Twitter. I talked about Padre Twitter. My handle there is John Riley Poway. So encourage the participation. Okay. So let's talk about the Texas energy crisis. And this has obviously been huge news and it all broke. Gosh, was it Wednesday of last week? I think it was. And I probably would have commented on it on Wednesday or Friday, but Pete, Neil, and I, we already planned out our Flow Charts in Your Mind uh, podcast, uh, so didn't want to interrupt that, and I figured there'd be plenty of time here. But this is is obviously a huge deal. Now, we're hearing the stories about people, you know, obviously that have no power and are struggling and have no fuel to, you know, they, they have no gas coming in, so they can't run their heaters. I mean, it's a huge crisis. Um, My wife's cousin lives in Frisco, Texas, which is kind of—I think it's just north of Dallas, if I recall—and you know, she was telling us stories how, yeah, they haven't been able to run the the heat in the house, and they've the the inside of the house has gotten as low as into the low fifties, which is damn cold for a house, and they sleep in their sub-zero sleeping bags. Um, They've actually had to. All their faucets, they turned them on so just a little drip comes out at a time just to make sure that the pipes don't freeze. So they've been struggling with power and and internet connectivity, but I think they're slowly starting to come back to life. Uh, So they've been feeling the pain. It's been a struggle. For one of my clients... One of my clients is headquartered in Dallas and their data center is in Dallas and the data center lost power, you know, huge problem. Now, suddenly my client out here in San Diego, a lot of their IT systems don't work at all. And so the IT guys in the Dallas office are scrambling. They're trying to redeploy um, some of their systems to work in, in remote offices outside of Texas. I mean, it's just been a cluster. And it's been a problem, huge problem. Um, But we're seeing a lot of what I'll call um, the blame game, right? Lots of blaming going on right now in the initial days of this crisis. And you've got, you know, some of our friends on the right, some of our more conservative friends, are blaming electric um, or blaming. uh, environmental causes. They're blaming wind turbines. They're, they're blaming solar. They're, they're saying that the green energy was not able to fulfill the promise. So you've got this politicization of the people on the right blaming essentially left-wing political causes. But then the same thing is true on the other side. Our friends on the left, our more progressive friends, are blaming the problem on deregulation. and They're trying to point the figure at the conservatives, at the Republicans. And it's just turning in to this big mess. Now, have there been some problems with some of the alternative energy sources? Yeah, there have been. Are they serious enough to cause the big problems not really have there been some issues with some of the energy companies not really having their systems up to not not really up to code is the right word, but have they were they properly regulated uh, yeah I'm not sure if that's even the right word either, but has there been certain failures by some of the energy providers? The answer is definitely yes um, so it's easy to point the finger in both directions now I'm looking at this really from an economic perspective to me it's a supply and demand deal you know the the demand is enormous the demand for power for gas and electric is enormous it's it's more than they ever expected uh because they didn't forecast this event to happen now granted i know there have been situations i think it was in what 2011 or 2013 they had a they had a crisis and there was one in the in the 2000s But still, I mean, in Texas, one of the so-called energy capitals of America, the vast majority of their energy consumption is during the summer, right? When it's hotter than hell and humid and they need air conditioning running 24-7. They don't really plan for this in the winter. And even during this winter storm, I mean, this is like an epic storm. I mean, it may be unprecedented. So it's like, the perfect, you know, to use a cliche that applies here, the perfect storm, right? So it's been a, this terrible winter storm, insane extra demand, way more demand than they ever forecasted, and then, of course, limited supply. And part of that is because the limited supply is because during the winter is a time when a lot of these energy plants are, are taken down, they're taken offline to do maintenance, because this is usually the time of the year when people use less energy. Now, granted, keep in mind, this is Texas. This is where it's hot. Even in the winter, it's warm there. It's not like Minnesota. It's not like New England. But of course, there were some of our the energy grid partners that didn't winterize, of course, and they didn't take the necessary precautions. They didn't learn their lessons from 2013. And as a result, they weren't able to deliver power as well. So there, there's a lot of factors going on with this, but basically- I see a lot of this as a blame game right now. It's being politicized. I'm not sure if all the facts are really on the table and I'm looking forward to learning about it. Now, the organization that manages the the so-called marketplace of, um, of energy, and I think it's called ERCOT, if I recall. It's a five-letter word that starts with an E and it's not Enron. Um, but my understanding is, is that, you know this organization they do forecasting of potential demand, and you know this th- clearly this exceeded you know even their worst case estimates for the amount of potential uh, demand on the system and you got to believe state even if state regulators were in charge you can 't imagine that they would be forecasting a, a very different model because no one really could have seen this coming now, granted when it came they weren 't prepared that 's for sure, and hopefully that 's something that they're going to realize. But keep in mind also that if, it, a lot of times is, this is just poor management, right? Now, people are politicizing it. They're saying, oh, those greedy bastards, those Republicans, they, they skimp on winterizing so they can make more profit. But really, if a company is really serious about generating profit, they're thinking both short-term and long-term. And if they had winterized, they would be reaping millions of dollars now. If they were truly driven for profit on both a short-term and a long-term basis, they would have made the necessary investment to winterize. So is this a regulation problem? Well, maybe. It's really a poor planning uh, problem, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's... Yeah. Well, you know, it's the the unexpected happened. It's a failure of imagination, perhaps is the right way to put it. Now, again, people are going to jump to this is a regulatory issue. They need more regulations. But even regulations are no silver bullet. I mean, look here. We're in in California. We probably have one of the most regulated energy systems in America. You know, this is California after all. But remember like 10 years ago, I I think it was like 2011, And we had that amazing blackout here, not just in Poway, not just in San Diego, but it was like the whole Southwest of the United States. You remember that? That was, I think, because, you know, they're talking about the interconnectivity of grids. We're all in this big grid. And there was a failure in Arizona, like hundreds of miles away. There was a failure. Now, some people blame it on an employee. Um, I don't know what the employee was doing. Was the employee following regulations? I don't know. But there was a failure In a highly regulated environment. And then we had a blackout that lasted at least, what was it? At least two days. Might have been longer. And then even now in a highly regulated market, there are rolling blackouts. I mean, we had rolling blackouts here in Poway over the summer, um, because the demand far exceeded the supply. You know, it always comes down to econ 101. And so the point is, is that A regulatory environment doesn't guarantee you're not going to have a problem. Problems still happen. I mean, shit happens. So again, you got these conservatives blaming it on alternative energy, on wind and solar. You got the progressives that are blaming it on deregulation. I mean, it's just this blame game going on. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what solution they come up with. But one potential solution, and we're at the one minute mark. I'm just going to go a little bit longer. And I wanna talk about this whole concept of plug and play solar. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I've just been learning about this the last few months, and this is a really great technology. And this is technology that I think could have been very helpful in Texas, Um, and it could be very helpful here in California. So what Public plug and play solar, what this is, is like right now, imagine if you wanted to get solar, right? You got to contract out with a solar provider. They've got to pull permits and they got to go up on the roof. They got to install these big systems and these big inverters. And then the inspector's got to come out and inspect it. And it's like a big deal, right? And who can afford this? Homeowners. And then who are going to most likely take advantage of this? Homeowners, right? But- What about renters? I mean, renters can't take advantage of solar because they're always moving, you know? So you can't like take your solar panels off your roof and move to another place. Or maybe they're a homeowner, but they're a condo owner and they don't really technically own the roof. So they can't use the roof. Um, Or certainly if you're an apartment um, renter, you can't use the roof. So how can all these other people take advantage of solar? And plug and play solar is that. I mean, it's like, Kind of like a, a Lego set, like where you can imagine that you can buy panels and you can connect them together and it 's actually something that you know if you can put your your home stereo together or your computer together, you can put your solar system together, and these systems you might mount them on your roof, you might mount them on um, a patio cover, you might just put them out on your patio and put them on the floor on little stands. You might just put them out in your backyard on the, on the grass. You can move them around. And these are what they call plug and play solar. And you then connect them into your home and it provides energy. And the beauty is, is you don't have to commit to this massive system. You can just buy pieces as you go, as your needs change. Um, as you need more power, more energy, buy a few more modules. And plug them in. And it's plug and play solar. And it's terrific. And it's, like I said, it's great for the renters. It's great for people that don't own a roof, like a condo owner. But it's, you're now, imagine if you were in Texas where the energy system is shut off. Now, granted, people are mostly dependent on gas for heating, but bear with me. With solar is for electricity, um, but. If you had plug-and-play solar, you could actually power your home, even if the grid fails you. So now it's like a safety net. Now it's an alternative source for electricity. Um, And the regulatory burden is one of the big problems with solar um, now, because it it requires so much permitting and inspections and all the regulatory uh, requirements that happen upstream before the technology even arrives at your home. Well, plug-and-play solar gets around a lot of that, and it makes it easier and less burdensome to install. And it's safer um, because the technology has improved so, so much. And a lot of people are saying now that the regulatory burden on solar is almost excessive. But when the regulatory burden is excessive, who does that benefit? Does it benefit the homeowner? Not really. Who does it benefit? It benefits the city government, who who's takes in all the fees for all the permitting, and it also benefits the contractor, the licensed contractor, who's the only one that's authorized to do the work. So again, this is how regulations, a lot of times they are maybe well-meaning, good intention, but there's often a financial motivation of people that come in on the backside of that, moneyed interest, that use that, use regulations to play the game to their benefit. Plug-and-play solar would be a way to get around it, but plug-and-play solar is illegal in many states. I'm not sure if it's illegal in California or Texas. My hunch is it's probably illegal in California, but I want to learn more about this. Um, Pat Johnson on the live stream says, but what about the people that are now getting thousands of dollar electricity bills? One elderly couple received a $17,000 bill. Yeah, I mean, the the whole, we're going, going back to Texas here. The whole system is a cluster, right? This is like the supply-demand curve. Supply was limited and demand was through the roof and prices went up as a result. Well, one of the things that they like to say that in Texas, they have a so-called free market for energy, but it's not really a free market because there's only a limited number of actual energy producers, but there just happens to be a whole bunch of companies that sell, that are like resellers, they're like dealers, they're like retailers, um, but they're, the manufacturers of the energy are still the same power plant down the road, um, the the same wind farm, the same solar farm. Um, so in many ways, they're, they're, the, the the prices of these bills, of course, are nuts. And I can't imagine people are ever going to be liable for it because- A lot of the problem, the reason these bills are so damn high is because the energy companies failed to provide the proper um, system. The energy companies are the ones that failed their customers. I'm highly confident that those bills are going to be negotiated or erased. There's something's going to happen where people, clearly people aren't going to be able to pay $17,000 monthly energy bills. I mean, that's just silly. That's not going to happen. But- the reason that it's that way is because the energy companies failed. And I think homeowners, you're probably going to see class action lawsuits. You're going to see people applying pressure on the energy companies to clean up their own mess and, frankly, to offer compensatory damages. To people that suffered hardships, frankly, people lost their lives in this, and I think that 's the way it should play out is that the energy companies need to bear the burden, bear their responsibility for their failure to deliver on the promises they made to their customers to deliver on the, to, the, to come through and take responsibility for their failure to deliver power to deliver energy to their customers. But yeah, some people got crazy bills. But I mean, the whole thing turned into a cluster. The whole thing was a cluster. Um, And Pat Johnson says, you are correct, but also the retailers of that power are unregulated. Well, here's my bet, Pat. I don't think they're unregulated. I don't think there's zero regulations. It, it, It is Texas, but I don't think it's the wild, wild west. There's definitely regulations. Now there might be less regulations than what's in, a, in California, or maybe less regulations than Texas used to have, but Texas has its own Department of Energy. Of course, they have regulations, and there's going to be certain rules that are going to be applied to these energy resellers, guaranteed. But the energy resellers aren't necessarily the problem either, right? I mean, they are selling a product, and they were able to essentially be the matchmaker between the customer and the energy provider, and. These retailers competed in the marketplace, and and they were savvy, and some of them out innovated others, and that's good. But it's still a very limited free market when the actual manufacturing is done by the same darn power plants that have been producing for for decades. So it's just more of a a thin layer of free market on top of a, a on top of a, a highly establishment. Very um, non competitive market. So, uh, but yeah, it, the whole thing is a mess in Texas. But imagine if people had this plug and play solar, then they would be able to power themselves. They wouldn't have to depend on the grid, they wouldn't have to pay $17,000 monthly power bills. You'd be able to buy these pieces of technology plug them together, just like you connect a printer to a computer, just like we used to do back in the old days with our home stereo and connect our cassette deck and our turntable to our receiver and amplifier. It would be just like that. It wouldn't be that hard. Um, But unfortunately, government regulations make these systems illegal in many states. And that's a big problem. Um, But yeah, it would also, this plug and play technology would give more access to green energy, um, to green technology, even for the poor and the lower middle class, um, because this technology would be made available to the masses. You can imagine mass production and with consumer electronics, with mass production of consumer electronics, have prices gone up or down? They've gone down. (laughs) So this could be potentially a huge win. And- now people could now play the game more effectively, just like I'm trying to play the game with San Diego Gas and Electric. So I just want to open your eyes to this idea of plug and play solar. I think it's really exciting. And um, I think this could offer a lot of benefits to homeowners, but also to renters and to businesses and just to, if you want to live off the grid and you want to live in your RV and power that with solar, it has so many great Potential uses. Solar power at a little league field that is normally doesn't have power available, or when you're out in the desert doing whatever you're doing in the desert, you know, RVing or camping. I mean, these plug and play solar could be unbelievably powerful, flexible, innovative, attractive, and would be a safety net to protect us when the grid fails, including as it failed in the highly regulatory. Uh, highly regulated San Diego, California market back in 2011 when we had this mass blackout in the Southwest United States that affected California, Nevada, Arizona, and even Mexico. That was something. That was an amazing event. Okay, um, I want to I want to close out my podcast with a with a closing quote because I always do and. But I first want to thank you. If you've been listening or watching this whole podcast, I know many of you have been online and I've been seeing our live numbers kind of go up and down, people kind of in and out. And so thank you. If you've been listening or watching, trying to do this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two, and uh, I'm getting better and better at being consistent on that. Um, And I love the participation in the live stream. So even though we don't have a guest, um, I love having you participate just like you are a guest. Here in the podcast studio. Um, and I encourage you to follow me on social media, John Riley Project on Facebook, John Riley Poway on Twitter. Go to my website, JohnRileyProject.com. There you can sign up on our email list and uh, t- you can see all of our previous episodes. You can get the audio, the video, and of course, all our videos on YouTube and all the audio is on all the popular podcast platforms. The closing quote is. I already said it once before. It was so wonderful. It was so amazing. It was so awesome. It was so full of energy. I'm going to repeat the quote again. And it's from Fernando Tatis Jr. And he said, to the city of San Diego, we're here to stay. I love this city. I love the fans. I love the culture. I love the vibe. That's like saying he loves the energy, right? I'm all about winning and I'm all about winning in San Diego. So thank you, Peter Seidler. Thank you, Ron Fowler. Thank you, A.J. Preller, Jace Tingler, the entire Padres organization. But most of all, thank you, Fernando Tatis Jr. for committing to San Diego. We are committing to you and we're going to feel the love. We're going to win some championships here in the 2020s. We're going to break the San Diego sports curse once and for all. And I can't wait. And Fernanda Tatis Jr., you're going to be the lightning bolt. Show me your lightning bolt. The lightning bolt that really gives us that energy. And thank you so much. This is the John Riley Project. It is episode number 204. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you Wednesday at 2. Bye, friends you